Hello and welcome to Running the Table, an ongoing podcast about running and playing tabletop role-playing games. I'd like to thank all of you who have asked questions, and if you'd like to ask some of your own, please email them to rttpodcast at gmail.com, or you can ask them directly to Running the Table on both Facebook and Twitter. I'm your host, Keith, and today I have with me my guest, Zub, from the Broken Lords podcast. Hello, and thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. So, let's just jump right into it. Why don't you tell me and listeners a little bit about yourself? Hello, my name is Zub. I'm also colloquially referred to as Zub the Mad, as per my gamer tag. And I run the Broken Lords podcast. I'm the editor. I am... The 80% DM, I like to call myself, because 80% of the time, I'm probably the DM. And <laughs> we do cosmic horror-themed slash cyberpunk-themed actual plays. Very fun. Uh, so, could you give us a little bit more information about the Broken Lords podcast and how that got started, and maybe even how you got started as a DM or GM? Well, to start, I've been playing off and on for about 17 years now. My first real game was a bloodletting campaign during uh, World of, Old World of Darkness. You know, Vampire the Masquerade, Werewolf the Apocalypse, that yeah. type of stuff. Um, that was actually my college years. Hashtag nerd alert. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that kind of evolved into an interest, into a passion. I kind of got dragged into it by my college friends at the time. And uh, as a result, I kind of branched it out, and now I've infected everyone. So, <laughs> very fun. So the ma- um, the main reason the uh, synthesis genesis, if you will, uh, for the Broken Lords podcast was I was actually running with a a group in uh, the Greater New England area, and we were doing like a Viking campaign that was using the Burning Wheel system, and we were thinking to ourselves, okay. "This is really good." Um, not to toot our own horns, but I guess you know we pulled the whistle. And we and we thought to ourselves, why can't we just record this and upload it to the the internet? I mean, it is, you know, twenty first century. We can do that now. Yeah, uh, you'd be surprised at how many podcasts get started that exact way. Yeah, uh, well, that makes sense. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, I'm on a podcast where we do an actual play as well, and that's pretty much the story behind it. Uh, we're playing, we have to do a remote session, so we're already on our computers. Why not just record it? Yeah. Um, so when you, when you got started with, uh, your podcast and playing, uh, what did you end up finding your biggest challenge as a as a GM to be? Oh goodness. Uh, so I have a pretty, and I don't, I don't want to be like, you know, I'm the popular guy or anything like that, but we have a pretty big group. Like we average about eight players a session, <laughs> which is absurd. You know, you think to yourself like the higher end of a table is like five to six people. Like seven is like crazy, but you know, yeah. we're masochists, I guess. So eight people at a table plus <laughs> my sad person being the DM for this whole situation is like. That's that's like one of the biggest hurdles is like trying to get everyone's voice heard while at the same time trying to run a cohesive story without, you know, the rogue walking off to like shut up with the bartender and stuff like that, you know? <laughs> yeah, just keeping everybody 
invested in what's going on and engaged in the story. Yeah. It can be hard it can be hard with a regular sized group. Yeah, so uh we had to consolidate quite a bit of the chaos at the beginning of this whole situation. Um the first episodes of Hearth were a little bit uh shall we say verbose. Um I had to cut it down a lot. Um so mm-hmm. yeah, that was my main the main thing. Um the good news is that we have a pretty tight knit group of friends. We've been gaming for the better part of a decade now. Goodness gracious, making me sound old now. Um <laughs> so we all kind of know each other's uh quirks and things that would you know make us look, look at the pretty butterflies instead of looking at the story so we have uh, a way yeah. of self-regulating and getting us back to focus um but it is a challenge yeah but it is nice to have that kind of uh dynamic established mm-hmm. yeah it takes yeah. time i it definitely does i've got a group that i've been playing with for years and then i've got another group that i started playing with just this last year and the dynamic is very different uh when you don't actually know the group members as well oh yeah uh is it like more awkward or now i'm interviewing you (laughs) uh it's it's more or less uh that when you aren't as familiar with the group player group members you don't know the ins and outs of how they're going to react to a given situation right Hmm. away uh you can't just put something down that you know will draw one person but nobody else right and you can't just easily say i can have this description without derailing our entire uh, campaign for 30 minutes Mm. i actually ran into that pitfall with the new group during the last session i ran i described something that i thought was just maybe they'll roll an investigation or an insight to see what it might be and they spent 30 minutes thinking that this piece of decoration essentially that was missing something um because of age was some sort of secret door or trap yep got all of the paranoid pretty butterflies yep uh and it was not something that i expected from that group but i chalk it up to not knowing what their uh pretty butterflies are mm-hmm. Yeah, it's something that you really cultivate just, over time. Yeah, I just don't know it yet. Mm. I'll learn it. Yeah. I feel like um, if you use like simpler systems, like Powered by the Apocalypse systems and stuff like that, you get to see people's bad habits really fast. Yeah, I definitely love Monster of the Week. Mm. I haven't played that one yet. That is one of, that is one of my favorites. Um, it is very good. And if you're curious about what Monster of the Week is like... Shameless plug, the other podcast I was talking about, we're currently playing it, uh, Experience and Gold. Give it a listen. Yeah, sure. It's tons of fun. Yeah, sure. I'll I'll add it to my listen list. (laughs) So we've both been working at this for a little bit, and I've gotten this question a lot, actually. Uh, What are some of your favorite integrations of inspirational material such as literary or pop culture references that you've done or seen done in a tabletop role-playing well we are heavily inspired by like old mythos uh weird fiction uh back in the day if you remember those lovecraftian things i know here we go sounding like a nerd um but um our our group is very heavily into like robert e howard which you know who was one of Lovecraft's um, closest friends, and they had like a lot of uh, interconnected canon 
Um, so a lot of our material and a lot of the stuff that I really like is stuff that references that sort of thing. Um, if you're also uh, tangentially related, though it may not necessarily be within the gaming realm, um, I'm kind of also into unfiction, and I swear this will make sense. Um, you know, ARGs, whatever you want to call them. Um, there's a group called Wham City Comedy. Um, you've, if you've seen uh, Adult Swim stuff, like unedited footage of a bear, um, that type of thing, uh, they run those type. They run those types of fiction, and there was one that directly related to Lovecraftian fiction. And uh, the way they did it was like through like they had a a set like kind of like a like a family like a family sitcom set um, where the players were all in the same room and there were different colored phones, and these phones directly related to the user experience. Like people would be able to call into the phone line and ask the players questions. And it was all like references to Lovecraft and stuff like that. And that was a really cool um, series of YouTube videos, um, ARG, that was kind of interconnected. And that was that's the type of stuff I really like. Very fun. Um, I, I, I haven't gotten into ARG stuff in, in my own time, yeah. um, but it is interesting to me. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I think I will probably check that out yeah it's it's really cool um just just youtube wham city comedy i know it's a little bit unrelated to the t tabletop rpg but it was kind of like i use that as an example of what i look for in tabletop rpgs if i get those references i get those okay. nods to like you know if you give me like a king and yellow reference i'll probably be your friend for a long time <laughs> then again i think you'll like experience in gold all right well i will uh it seems like you're wetting my whistle <laughs> on this one so yeah, uh, we have some uh, some references to Leng. Mm. Yes. Um, so with kind of the Lovecraftian uh, dark fiction mythos, that plays into this next question. Mm -hmm. Some games can get dark or be triggering to some people, mm -hmm. but I don't want to make my players uncomfortable. What are some ways that I can broach these topics and subjects while remaining sensitive to my player's experience and making sure they feel safe and welcome at the table? Well, um, as a general rule, you want to have that grander conversation at, like, session one. I always advocate for a good session one where you get a feel of the player's characters they want to bring to the table, kind of sit them down, have a little powwow, and say, hey, this is what I want to cover in this particular game. Are there any objections? Does anyone have arachnophobia? That type of stuff. It's always good to have those conversations ahead of time. So when you, you know, introduce those elements, you're not all of a sudden scaring your your player base. You know, we want we want yeah. the we want the fun spooks, not the like someone's hanging out in the bathroom like in a fetal position spooks. You know. Yeah, definitely. Um, and along the same lines, I. Always suggest session one, session zero, whatever you call it, the the preparatory session. Um, and if you're able to, I suggest that you start this conversation early as you're getting everything set up for that first session. Yes. Like, as you're setting up your uh, audio equipment, in my case, <laughs> we always have those conversations. Like, hey, um, you know... Uh, I'm going to pick on Corey real quick, um, not to name drop people in my podcast, but I'm like, hey, Corey, how do you feel about insects? 
And, you know, I won't give anything away. I'll just kind of have a broader conversation. And Corey will be like, well, I really don't like centipedes. Like, I really, really don't like centipedes or something like that. Um, and not not yeah. that he's actually, you know, but, you know, having those kind of conversations and realizing what your uh, player's pain buttons are. Like, uh, I don't I, I want to I don't want to get a little too PG-13, but if you're kind of into like BDSM, um, there are safe words. There's places you don't want to go and you need to hash that out with your partner beforehand. Yep. <laughs> all about that communication and trust building yeah indeed um i'm um, pretty lucky in that regard because like i kind of alluded to off um when we were you know just chatting before the actual recording i mentioned that my group has known each other for the better part of a decade so we kind of know what buttons we shouldn't push with our group you know yeah and that that's definitely helpful mm-hmm. um so Let's say that uh, you have that conversation. Yep. You don't know offhand everything what's going on. Is there a way that you are thinking of that you can let players communicate, hey, this didn't come up in session zero or session one. This didn't come up in our discussion before this session, and I'm uncomfortable. Well, um, we have those. We, what we usually do is we have a Discord that's dedicated to just us, you know, that we can have those mm-hmm. conversations and we can side ping and stuff like that and be like, Hey, Zub, I really didn't like the, you know, when you introduced, uh, I don't know, cardboard boxes. I really don't like cardboard boxes. I'm being a little absurdist, but you know, um, like those cardboard boxes in that haunted house, I weren't feeling them. Like you kind of pushed the, you kind of pushed the envelope there. Um, and then we have that discussion off board. Um, like, Hey, you did the you did a thing I didn't like. Uh, those cardboard boxes in the haunted house. I really didn't wasn't feeling them. Uh, you made me really uncomfortable. And we have those conversations in the Discord chat. Either you know, depending on the severity, you know, a one to one audio chat, like kind of like how we're doing now. And we kind of hash those yeah. problems out. Like, well, what did you not like about the cardboard boxes? Were they too corrugated for you? Do you just not like the concept of cardboard boxes in a horror campaign? It was the fact that they were soggy. Yeah. yeah. With a little bit too moist on the, a uh, little bit too moist in the packaging material. Like, is that, is that what it was? You know, and then we kind of hash it out, you know? Yeah. And uh, that kind of, I think that getting to the crux of this question, the most important thing you can do is foster an environment where that kind of conversation is welcome. Yeah. Uh, that is how you make your players feel welcome at the table. Make them feel comfortable talking with you. And not only that, it fosters not only like the a stronger role playing group. You foster stronger friendships because then you know yeah. something about the about the person, and you're showing that you care about their experience and that you want them to have fun at the table. Yeah, one hundred percent agree. And this also connects to our next question. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to add some more realism to my game. What would you recommend to include, and what would you stay away from to make it both fun, but also realistic, and maybe a little gritty? Well, I do have a couple of house rules that I play. Like, say, for example, we're playing 5e. In one of the, in one of the games uh, that I play on my podcast, uh, Gate at the Hearth, I actually introduced a homebrew rule to make it a little bit more realistic. Um, there was a whole, like, carousing scene... Um, Again, being a little bit absurdist, but kind of using this to punch my point home. Um, 
where they got a little bit too inebriated and I had them roll constitution saves to see how inebriated slash, you know, incapacitated they were. Um, and that made the mm-hmm. role playing a lot more interesting because I basically said, okay, load, you're pretty drunk. Um, you need to do something about that before you can have a coherent conversation with someone as an example. Um, and yeah. I add, and that's, that's an aspect of realism because you, that is the cause and the effect is that you're not able to have coherent conversations because you introduce that element to your character at that time. Um, I believe strongly that the player should have the uh, highest amount of agency possible within the realm of the game. So in terms of realism, you have to put it on the table that if you do X, then Y will most assuredly happen. If they all go into that with that understanding in mind, then what you introduce as a result, I mean, they don't have, you know, they know what they got into, you know, like they got drunk. They did stupid things at the bar. That was on them, you know. They shouldn't have ordered that extra yeah. dragon's ale. Or um, <laughs> realism. Um, I also add some... I, it depends on the game, but I do add some brutal critical uh, rules. Where, you know, if someone gets hit really bad, uh, I might you might lose a limb. You might wake up with an eye missing. Or, like, some really gnarly scars that might make you less attractive. You know, that type of thing. Um, yeah, I mean... I, I'm all for uh, using the lasting physical representation of damage mm-hmm. as a way to say this was dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another thing that I, I always like to say when this question comes uh-huh. up is that uh, one of the ways to impart some level of realism and maybe even grit is... As simple as making sure that the consequences of a player's actions can be felt. Yeah, for sessions to come. That makes perfect sense. Um, I like to bolster on the phrase, no consequence, no conflict. Every modern, well, every piece of fiction really has an underlying consequence which brings about an effect. That is just how narratives work. Um if you go into a situation and you think your precious darling is going to be 100% safe in the spooky haunted house when there are Zambambos attacking from outside, then let me tell you something. You're not playing in my game because you need to realize that there are consequences to you going to the house alone, you know, trying to be the hero and realizing very quickly that you walked into a situation where you would be easily overwhelmed. And guess what happened, bucko? Like, oh, dang. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's something you willfully chose. That is a consequence. Yeah. And then there is conflict, which is the conflict of how do you get out of this house alive? Or if that is even possible, given what you've done. <clears throat> so this is one of the reasons that I absolutely love some of the powered by the apocalypse systems. Uh, so in monster of the week, one of the things that you can do as an action is read a bad situation. Yeah. And that just gives you the information of, you know what? You walked into this house. You're surrounded by zombies. This is bad. Very bad. Yeah. And the the keeper is what they're called, I believe. But the GM can essentially extrapolate on that to say just why this is so bad and what you did wrong and what's going to happen going forward. 
if you do nothing. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the main motifs of the Power by the Apocalypse systems is the phrase, what do you do? You are given a, you're yeah. given a bad deal, what do you do? Consequence? Conflict. Now, how do you deal with the conflict? And that's what makes good fiction. Yeah. And it also really drives home uh, the engagement with the players in the story and brings them further in, I feel. Mm -hmm. um, this e question is a little bit of a topic shift, but maybe not so much. Um, I'm having trouble playing my character. I just don't connect with the concept. What are some ways to rework them or make them more interesting? Are you trying to play a Mary Sue? If you're trying to make a character that is too good at everything, and that is the crux of their personality, is that they can do no wrong, they are the paragon of virtue or whatever, then guess what? I have a place for you. It's called fanfiction.net. Because no one wants to hear that at the table. Like, trouble playing your character, and, well, that's the snarky answer. The answer that I want to do that's a little bit more helpful is connecting with the concept it appears that you're having a disconnect with the what your character is as opposed to what you are. I like to think that good characters come from an extension of yourself, right? So, as oh, an yeah. example, I play in a Star Wars game uh, a really drunk punk rock otter chick. And um, <laughs> uh, the, the crux of her character is the conflict she has with wanting to balance community with her, you know party rock lifestyle and that was me like 12 years ago you know like it's it's an yeah. amplified version of that crappier version of myself and as a result i'm able to pull to it and connect with it because it was me at a point um and i think that if you're having trouble playing that character you may not have walked the the proverbial mile in their shoes um and yeah not not saying that if you're you know, a daredevil paladin who runs into conflict at the first moment's notice, you should go run into the freeway and feel what adrenaline feels like. That's a bad idea. Like, don't do that. <laughs> but I mean, like, <laughs> um, try to understand where he's coming from, right? If you have a paladin who runs in knight in shining armor, that type of thing, there's always an element behind what he does. There's a motivation for what he does. Um, if he is a champion of virtue, if he is a man that is all about zombie bad, vampire bad, kill the bad, there might have been something in his life that triggered that behavior. We're all products of our upbringing, right? Um, not to... Yeah, and, and and one thing that I'd love to say is it can be helpful to think of a good character as a caricature of some aspect of yourself. Yeah, because yeah, we... Because if you if you can't relate to the character, if you can't understand where they're coming from, then I mean, that's that's the basis of human relationships is having that common understanding and you know seeing where that person's yeah. coming from and also being able to share in that experience. And you know, sometimes it's as superficial as you like D and D, I like D and D, and having a common interest or. Hey, look at look at this. Look at us. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like, yeah, um, but I mean, like, that's that's the thing you need. To, we have to find those common elements that connect you to the character. Pretend you're having a conversation with them. Um, I like to use this. This is actually a, um, 
a technique that was taught to me by one of my writing mentors. Um, pretend you're bringing your character mm -hmm. out for a cup of coffee. And you're having trying to have a conversation okay. with them. And you're asking them questions about where they're from, you know, what they've done in the past and stuff like that. Just normal human conversations. Listen to them and see what they're bringing up. Like that paladin at yeah. the table, you're having a cappuccino with them. They're sitting there and they're saying, well, I don't like vampires. Why don't you like vampires? Alistar, the all right. I don't know. Uh, it just free. Well, yeah. I was traumatically scarred when I was uh, five years old and a vampire broke in and drained both my parents. Wow, that sucks, dude. Like, I'm really sorry, but I'm, I understand where you're coming from. I mean, it, it was a traumatic experience. Like, yeah, but thankfully it led to this priest taking me in and he, he got me into the order where I got to learn all of my skills and talents. And now I pay that order back and deal with my trauma by hunting down those beasts. I mean, are there, are there other things that you do? I mean, it's, it's always going to have a life work balance, you know? Well, you know, I, I like to, I still like to write. I, I practice calligraphy. I send letters back to the order regularly. I keep them up to date, but I also do nice little pen pals back and forth. Oh, wow. That's cool. <laughs> like that's, it's that. And, yeah, now, and now you know something about him. Now we've got a, now we've got a paladin who likes to do calligraphy and has a traumatic past. And suddenly that's a character that I'd love to play. Yeah. That's it's, it's not rocket science, honestly. Like, if you're having that trouble playing your character, go out and have a cup of coffee with them. I mean, in your in your brain. Um, yeah. You don't want to do that. You can do it for <laughs> real if you want. Just don't do it at an actual Starbucks. People will think you're crazy. Yeah. Or if you do do it at an actual Starbucks, don't do it out yeah. loud. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that I think that the the base of this kind of an issue may often come about from somebody trying to avoid doing a quote-unquote self-insert character and leaning too hard into avoiding uh, putting anything of themselves into the character. Well, I mean, you can you can swing the pendulum so far over the, over the median that you could find someone that you have nothing in common with. And what do you do with people you don't, mm -hmm. you're not, you have nothing in common with? You ignore them. That's just human nature. If you're, if you're yeah. not interested in that person because you don't have something common to parlay with them, then what makes you think you want to play that character in a tabletop game? Yeah, so maybe you just went too far over the pendulum, or maybe you're just not finding what you do have in common with your character. Yeah. I like. I really like the idea of sitting down and having a cup of coffee with your character to get to know them a little bit better. Yeah, that's what I do when I write. I always have a cup of coffee with each yeah. each and every one of my main characters, even the side ones. All right. And so for the last question, this one's, I think, a great one to end on. Uh, do you have any other suggestions or things I should be aware of when running my very first session as a GM? Well, here's the first thing. Um, when I first started, and I'm using this anecdotally because I, I find that speaking in stories is a lot easier to relate to than just like talking about things in the abstract when i was starting as a gm my very first game was a oddly enough a white wolf game uh an old world of darkness game um i ran which was also uh surprise surprise a bloodletting campaign 
Uh, so for those that are uninitiated, bloodletting back in the day meant you could play as any like character archetype, and they would all work together. Um, and you would give them, you know, story reasons why they would be work, why a say a vampire would be working with a werewolf who are mortal enemies normally. Um, and you give them like a grander task to tie those two um, normally uh, polar opposite characters into a group. Um, so the main thing I did at the time was I got a feeling for the players at my table. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew them kind of, sort of like when we were first starting, I kind of sort of knew these people. Um, they were part of my video game slash nerdum group in college. Um, okay. and, but I didn't know them well enough. So what I did was I actually started hanging out with them more. I got a feel of the person in real life because people are kind of bad at making things out of nowhere. You know what I mean? You can't really pull ideas from the other. No matter how much you try to make a brand new, like, wheel, you're not going to do that without the materials you already have inside. If that makes sense. So, yeah, I knew because, you know, because of that fact that the players at my table would be playing characters that would basically be an extension of themselves because we didn't really know each other that well. Um, we didn't really have that common commonality in it. We played like maybe one game before. So we were all kind of like still awkward with, around each other. Um, but the important thing was, is that I spent time with them to get to know them. Because I think the first thing you should do as a GM is you should get to know your players in real life. You should know what makes them tick. You should know, you know, the things that will put them off. Will we have those conversations of comfort, you know, of comfortability? Um, where like, do you like, do you like cardboard boxes? We were kind of alluding to that before. Like, no, cardboard boxes terrify me. And learn those things about your players in real life. Because the characters yeah. they're going to play, if they're not doing that other thing that they were doing, you know, with the pendulum swing, where it was too far out in the middle of nowhere, where they had no real connection to the character, um, they'll tend to work towards the median. There'll be characters that will work with that with the existing player's personality. Um, so you have to know their personalities first. Second of all, mm-hmm. um, then you kind of sort of get to have a feel as to the game you want to play. Um, do you want to play a horror game? Do you want to play a sci-fi game? I always choose the motif before I choose the system, if that makes sense. Like, Oh, totally. Like, um, yeah. <clears throat> a Star Wars game wouldn't really work as well in a system geared towards you know uh dark fantasy like uh well shadow run if we're talking about the expanded universe it can get pretty dark but i guess it's okay. not technically yeah. canon anymore because disney like said it's not canon anymore so all right let, let's let's rephrase that if we're talking about high class like jedi versus sith Opera, space operatic yeah. motif, it probably won't work super well in Shadowrun. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like you, you don't want to, you don't want to play a high fantasy, sci-fi fantasy in a game like Shadowrun because Shadowrun has a very set theme. It's dark. The yeah. world is crappy. 
It's a, you know, anarcho-capitalist nightmare. All the corporations literally own every facet of your life unless you go off the grid. And then good luck trying to do anything in society without, like, doing crime in order to keep yourself alive. Like, that's a very heavy motif that is baked right into the system. If you want to play a high fantasy game, you do not play Shadowrun. Well, I mean, there are elements of high fantasy in it. There is magic users and stuff like that. But my point is, yeah, if you want to have that... It's still different. Yeah. yeah. If you want to have that, like, polar opposite, like, objective good versus objective evil, Shadowrun is probably not going to be your game. Um, so you want to you mm -hmm. find systems that tailor to what you want to do rather than the other way around. Because... If you find yourself trying to shoehorn in elements of Shadowrun and trying to run a Star Wars game, that's not going to happen. It's going to be really confusing for your players, and most of all, it's going to be really frustrating to you as the GM. So, um, And I, I have one more thing to say about uh, the whole getting to know your players mm -hmm. aspect that you were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, if you, for some reason, cannot all meet... And you don't necessarily want to play without with one person missing early in the campaign or something like that. That's fine. But you should all still get together. Yeah. That's a great time to just kind of hang out and maybe play something else or just exist as people. Yeah. Um, so, some days. Because you may yeah. not want to play, but you can still get together. Yeah. And it's good. It's it, I mean, that's it's good to socialize. It also, like, strengthens the bonds of the group, uh, which leads, leads you to uh, play better games. Um, it's a circle, you know? You play better games yeah. to build a tighter-knit circle to play better games in order to make a tighter-knit circle. It spirals all the way down. Um, so, yeah. back on task with the very first session as GMDM. Um, the other thing I like to do is play a system that you're comfortable with. If you don't have a real motif in mind... Play games that you personally are invested in. Um, what I mean by yeah. that is, well, I'm personally am very heavy into horror. I love horror as a genre, as a subgenre. I like, I adore it. I'm like trying to be a horror writer, um, and my games are heavily skewed towards that because that's the thing I'm personally invested and in, interested in. Um, I'm very lucky and very grateful to have a group that also has similar mindsets. Uh, maybe not to the fanatical extent as I do, but like at least has the ability to entertain those things. And that's another important thing about your group. Mm -hmm. You have to kind of know what you guys have in common and things that you know everyone will be universally interested in. Very much so. Um, otherwise, you're going to have that one person that's twiddling on their cell phone <coughs> going, you know, looking at YouTube videos while everyone else is involved. And that, that sucks. You don't want, you don't want that person at the table and you certainly don't want to be that player. Yeah. That's not a good place to be in. And it's not a good person to have at the table. It, it it's something you want to avoid entirely. Yeah. If you can. Um, the other thing I want to expound upon is the importance of session zero. Um, if you are yes. working with a new group who, you know, you maybe had one or two games with, if at all. Um, you want to sit down. You want to talk to the players about the characters they want to play, the worlds that they might be interested in. You guys have to find that common ground. 
because once you find that common ground in which you are engaged your players will come to the table with their a game and then that'll make it easier for you to dm um we have a saying in our group where it's like man it's so easy i just throw pieces at you and you do all the work um <laughs> like we I've, I've played in a lot of uh game i've played in a lot of games but like some of the most memorable experiences i've had as a gm were just sitting back and letting the players run the show i mean there's an extent to which you you know you need to step in and go well no you can't stop the barmaid we have a quest to do like also the barmaid is the governor's da daughter and you don't want to like cause bad relations because plot reasons you really just think that this is a bad idea yeah. but you don't want to you don't want to bar them but as i was talking to in the previous things there are consequences that breed conflict and if they want to do that then you let them but they have to be very mindful of the fact that they have indeed caused conflict for themselves and yeah and it's important as the gm to uh continually inform them of this is a bad idea. You know this to be a bad idea. Oh, I don't even do that. I just go, are you sure? And they answer yes. Well, and I go, okay. I think that that is uh, saying the same thing, but maybe that's just me. Yeah. Anytime the DM or GM says, are you sure? That means rethink what you just said. And, you know, in summation, what I want to say is, you know, your group, Know yourself, what you are both comfortable with, and have that session zero, and have motifs in which everyone is invested. If you do that, literally everything else will pan out. Um, as for like knowledge of the system, you want to have a passing understanding of the system for your first game. You can't be a rule god on your first you know D and D session ever. I'm using D and D because it's a common it's a common one, but like. Yeah. Don't feel the pressure to know all the rules off the bat. I have to say that again. Don't feel like you need to learn all the rules off the bat. The first time I ever GM'd, I knew about 20% of the rules, and that was the most basic stuff. If you And the first time that I ever GM'd, uh, we got through probably what now would be 15 minutes of content in three hours, because most of it was spent, well, I don't know. Let me, let me just look that up real quick. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Zub. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. This has been Running the Table with my guest today, Zub, from the Broken Lords podcast. Pleasure. Please follow any links in the description and check them out. Support them. And I'd also like to thank you for listening. And if you find yourself with questions that you want answered about anything tabletop role-playing game related, please send them to rttpodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach me at Running the Table on both Twitter and Facebook.